Good morning. It's great to be here this morning. Uh, great to see everyone, several visitors, so welcome. Welcome to Sovereign Grace Bible Church. We're going to be in the um, second chapter of James. And if you remember, James is, James is kind of the book... It's maybe less philosophy and more practicality. James gets down to the uh, the reality of the Christian life, I think. Um, it really gets down to how are we going to walk out this Word of God. I can't remember who it was that said every Bible should be wrapped in shoe leather because it's to be walked out. I think this... Um, I think this book, it gives us great instructions for that. And so as we get to chapter 2, I think that's exactly what we're going we're gonna to see. We're going to really get into that. We're gonna, Lord willing, today we'll go through about the first half of chapter 2. And it's interesting um, to start with here before we get to the actual scripture. I want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, chapter 2 brings a little bit of conflict of opinion as to the historical context of what's going on. What I mean is the confusion in verse 2 is where exactly this is talking about. Um, verse 2, he talks about if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and goodly apparel and all that. And the, the, there's a little bit of confusion on exactly what that's talking about. The reason is because the word that is used there is synagogue, or translated synagogue. And it's the only time in the New Testament where this word, this Greek word, is used dealing with a Christian gathering. It's usually used for what? The, the Jewish gathering. Which, and that's where we get some confusion because in the early church, in the synagogues, we had a lot of Christians, converted Jews to Christianity, still going to the synagogues and meeting, and there was a, there was some, you know, mingling of of that in some worship services but this is the only place it's used that way so what we get it and then there's also as you read down you'll see things about judgment and uh, court and so some people believe because of that James is because in other places James refers to gathering of believers like a worship service like we're in now as ecclesia or what we would refer to as church gatherings, worship, a gathering of believers together. So there's some confusion there. So you, you basically have two stances, two, and the, a lot of the commentators will kind of take one stance or the other. One is that this is um, referring to a typical, typical gathering of saints. He just used a different word. And then the other side is that James was not actually talking about a regular gathering of Christians to worship, but rather to some sort of Christian judicial hearing um, where they're actually trying to sort out problems and they're actually going to listen to um, these problems and, and pass down judgment. And this is an interesting thing to study about, but I think the message that God has, uh, has for us today is, as we look at the application of what James is saying, it would apply the same in either setting. 
So I'm not going to get hung up on that. I just want you to know kind of the background there. Um, and and the, the application that God has for either setting or for any setting or any Christian in our Christian walk is that partiality has no place in faith. So let's look at verse 1 and, and we'll take a look at, at what he means by that. Um, James chapter 2 verse 1, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now partiality, we, we're all familiar with it because we've all experienced it. We've had it against us. We've practiced it against others. More than likely, um, we're all in this boat together. But what it means is that you base your treatment of someone on something that your treatment should not be based on. Okay? You're a respecter of persons. Now, we're going to go on here and see that he's talking in this specific case mostly about money. The rich, the poor. Are you partial to the rich? Are you partial to the poor? But in this first verse, he says, show no partiality. In Romans 2, you can go back and you can see Paul referring to showing no partiality among ethnic groups, um, among, you know, your heritage type of thing. But here we're going to see primarily that we're going to look at, um, he's talking about money. But it's clear that there's no partiality within Christianity. And Peter said it in Acts. He said, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I I understand that God shows no partiality. And if you go back and you read Romans and you look through this, as as we look through this, think about this. Why is there no partiality? Why should we show no partiality among Christians? It's pretty simple because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It does not matter your position in this life. It does not matter how much money you have or don't have. It does not matter what country you were born in, what ethnic group you belong to, who your parents were, who your grandparents were. None of that matters. What matters is we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why there's no partiality among us. We're all equally saved by grace and so we see very clear as you look at that no partiality why as you hold the faith in our lord jesus christ so we see in verse one that showing partiality is a contradiction of faith in jesus christ if you are showing if you are a respecter of persons for whatever reason it's a contradiction of your faith okay and we need we need to address that Now, here's the thing. There's two different ways you're going to show partiality. One can be an outward appearance, which is easy to do, especially in this case. It's easy to get caught up into this stuff. The world is very much about partiality. It's also, though, you can make it look right on the outside. But what I want you to do today as we go through this is examine your heart. Are you showing partiality even in your heart, even though you know it's wrong and you're not letting the others see it, are you doing it? Are you thinking that way? 
And so we may need to just back up and change the way we even think in order to be faithful to what God has for us to do. Look at um, verse 2. I'll read down through verse 4 here. He says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so the problem we see here, whether we're dealing with a judicial hearing or whether we're dealing with a assembly of worship, a gathering of wor- to worship, is that people are inclined to favor those with money. And this is, I mean, there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, but if this is a worship service and people come in who are dressed as though they are wealthy or poor and we treat them differently because of that, it reveals something about our own hearts. And like I said, this doesn't always have to be external. Somebody can come in and you may have heard the, the many illustrations that have been made about the pastor that dressed up and he dressed up like a bum. Have you guys heard that story? I, I, I'm, it's, I think it's probably happened more than once. But the guy who is going to speak maybe dresses up like a bum and he sits by the outside of the church and just sees how the church reacts to him. Right? And there's the story goes that he's outside and everybody just kind of ignores him. So, you know. And then, he get, and then when he walks in, everybody's shocked. Oh, wow. You know. You, you may have heard that, so you may think, okay, so if I see somebody like that, I'm really going to make the effort to talk to him because it may be, it may be that that guy's the guy that's going to be speaking. Here's here's the problem with that: if you're going to, if you're helping out, you see somebody who comes in and they're poor, or they appear to be poor, and you're going over to them because that may be the guy who's speaking. This may be a well, you've just you've you've still a respecter of persons. You just cared for that person because he may not be who you think he is. And so we got to examine our hearts in this. It's difficult because he may really be poor. And our hearts should be inclined to this man or this woman who comes in in this apparel that is not maybe as good as ours. But our hearts should be inclined to them because they're made in the image of God And His grace is sufficient to save them. They may be saved already. And that would make them a brother or sister in Christ. Right? So we got to examine our heart. But we also don't want to be guilty of the external either. We got to, we, we need to pursue these things. And, and this, I think this is what makes this so difficult, especially in our culture. This mentality of the rich being seated in a better place, the rich being treated in a better way, is just, in our culture is engulfed with it. And it's not just our culture. You can go to the poorest countries in the world, and it's the same, maybe even more of a gap, because there's no middle class in some of those places. So the rich are way higher than the poor are way lower. But, I mean, just look at, it's just natural for us to think this way because 
If you go to a basketball game, who's in the best seats? Who do you see on the court line? It's the rich. Or either that or they're in a big suite up there. They're in the best place. Concerts, right? Um, theater. All of these things, the rich get treated better. We are not the world. We don't need a special chair for somebody because they are rich. We don't want to treat, and, and let me tell you something else too. This is not a, this is not a sermon against wealth. Not at all. If God has blessed you, praise Him for it and use that for His kingdom. But let me tell you something though. If you are giving money to the church or you're giving money to a cause for Christ, any kind of missionary organization, and the reason you're doing that is so that you can have your name well known, or you can put your name on a building, or that you can have some kind of praise of men, please just stop giving. God does not need your money. God needs, well, God needs nothing. He wants your heart. And if that's what you're doing, then it's just as bad as the people who are exalting those because they're rich. And so what we see here, if you look, if you look at that verse, it says, come into your assembly and the poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. So you can just picture it. The rich man comes in. He's wearing a ring, which is a symbol a lot of times at those times. Either he was a man of power or wealth or also uh, free. Only free men would wear rings. So you knew that he was not a servant. Um, but the poor man comes in in shabby clothing. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here and, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, which is another thing we should never give that kind of preference to anybody for any reason. Or he says, sit down here at my feet. And this is part of the reason that some people think this is judicial. Like you're under, like here's the court, you sit here under me, but I'm not sure about that. But look what he says right there in verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So the bottom line that we see here in verse 4 is that partiality reveals a judging heart and behind that judging heart, evil thinking. And so we hear a lot we hear a lot these days about not judging. We hear it from the world, right? When we start trying to evangelize, we start trying to explain to people that they are sinners and they're lost apart from Christ. And you can't judge me, all that stuff. But these people are the most judgmental. We're in one of the most judgmental cultures. And we have to be extremely careful not to get swept into this judgmental attitude of partiality based on money, based on race, based on position, any of that. It's very clear, no partiality. Look at verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? Partiality to the rich contradicts God's heart because he has chosen many of the poor for himself. You look through scriptures, most of his apostles, most of his disciples were not wealthy. They were poor, plain, 
common men. And he did mighty things with them. Take Peter, for example. You can just kind of, as you read through the life of Christ and you see Peter, you can tell Peter was not, Peter was not a highly educated man. He was pretty simple in the way he thought about things. He was much like many of us. He was much like me. I'm not, I'm not this extraordinary thinker. I'm pretty common. I'm pretty down to earth. Well, that's the way Peter, Peter was. And look at what God did through Peter. Was Peter rich? No. He was a fisherman. There were lots of fishermen. They weren't rich. He was a hard worker, I suppose. And so he's saying here, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world? Here, not wealthy, but what has he done to make them rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? So if somebody walks in here and they're poor, or if you know somebody and they're poor, and you cater, or you know somebody that's rich, and you cater to that because, oh, this person's rich, they could do this or that, whatever. You're denying the actual riches of Christ. Because anybody who is in Christ is rich beyond our imagination. They're rich in an inheritance that is everlasting. In, in an inheritance that is so wealthy, all the kingdoms of the earth could not even compare. And you're denying that for what? A little bit of gold? For what? A little bit of cash here? Some property? A business? What is it? No. God has chosen to use the poor. God has chosen to save the poor. And the rich alike. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in this boat together. And in the inheritance that we will receive in Christ... I don't care how rich you are or how poor you are. We're all equal in that inheritance, right? And so there is no partiality. In verse 6, But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? He's talking here about... And you go back into this the context of the history here in James. There was much persecution. Most of of that persecution was from the Jews and the Romans alike. They were dealing with it on two fronts, mostly from who? The rich and the powerful. When Jesus came and and they they, uh, put him on trial and they, they crucified him, it was not the poor who was doing that, right? They paid off Judas. They, they bribed Judas. Who was the ones with the, with the coin? Who was the ones with the gold or the silver, right? It was the Sanhedrin, the rich, the powerful at the time. And that's what he's talking about here. Are these not the ones that are suppressing you? And yet here you are worrying about that? In other words, it's like this means nothing in the kingdom of God. The amount of money you have means nothing in God's kingdom. He will bless some and he will not bless some. Paul knew both, right? He knew how he knew abundance and he knew hardship. And so here we see it. These are the ones that are dragging you into court. These are the ones that are causing you all this affliction. Now does that mean that all the rich are doing that? No, that's not what he's talking about. But he's saying in a general sense that's what's going on. 
And so it, it's, we see here in verse 6, partiality dishonors people who are created in the image of God. And partiality dishonors the very people in whom Christ died. And it dishonors the heirs to his kingdom, like I said earlier. And then at the end of that, or in that verse, we actually see that partiality to the rich can actually backfire and be our downfall. You know, and this is not a general statement. I don't mean this in every sense, but there are many, many people who have gotten rich. And few of them have done it without putting it on the backs of somebody else. Does that make sense? There's many rich people who have done it in a corrupt way. That doesn't mean they all have, but it means many of them have, and that's a fact. And you can cater to those people if you want to, and there's a very good chance that that's not going to work out good for you in the end, even in this earth. And so basically he's saying, treat treat everybody alike, right? Verse 7, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And it's, again, it's not that all the rich do this. That's not what James is saying. It's not, and it's not that the poor never do this. If you've been around rich people, you've been around poor people, unbelievers. They all blaspheme the name of God. And they all drag Him through the, um, through the mud. But I will say this, though. When you're evangelizing, when you're talking with people, just pay attention when, when you're out there sharing the gospel at the different reaction you will get, generally speaking, between the rich and the poor. We've been, we, we go to Bricktown every so often. Uh, we go up to the city and, and do evangelism, street evangelism. And there's two different places we go. One is down there at Bricktown, right there in front of the movie theater, the, the nice fountain. It's a really nice area. It's really pretty down there. And most of the people down there have some money. There's nothing to do there that doesn't cost money. If they're down there, most of them have, you know, they're going to a movie, they're going out to eat, they're going to these things. So it's, I I don't know that I would say wealthy, but comparable, compared to the other place we go, which is the bus stop, the bus station, what, four or five blocks away from there? Maybe, Maybe farther than that, maybe a half mile away from there or so. There's a bus station. And the people that are riding this bus are riding it because they can't afford a car. Most of them can barely afford some low-income apartments. They're, it's the poor. It's, and, and there's even some homeless, and there's, it's, it's that part of town, and it, that, that's the type of people. And let me just tell you the difference in the reaction of those two groups of people a half mile away from each other is really pretty amazing. It's pretty incredible. Now... Individually speaking, you can get cussed out just as quick over at the bus station as you can at the fountain. That's true. But as a general population, the poor are more ready to hear the things of God. I don't know why. I really don't. But I can tell you that it's true. We've experienced it. And that's, I think, what James is talking about here Um I think part of it goes to just an arrogant pride that we have when we have money that, hey, I got this by myself and I can do it on my own and all of that. And they ignore the blessings that God has given them that allowed them to get to that place. And the poor realize that maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not um, capable of that. 
I'm not real sure, but they are more ready to hear, they are more ready and willing to hear the, the gospel than the rich as a whole. Now, that doesn't mean there's more saved. It doesn't mean that God works differently, but it just, there's a different attitude. And I think that's what James is talking about here. Look on to verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, many of our problems in this world would go away if people would do that. Um, the problem is, it's just like Paul was talking about in, this, in the um, equipping hour this morning. The law has been written on our hearts. It was written on Adam's heart and he was capable of keeping it. The problem we have now, the law is written on our hearts, but apart from the Holy Spirit... We are incapable of keeping it. And so it's impossible to do this outside of salvation. Because the depraved, selfish nature of man cannot love others as much as himself. It doesn't happen. Maybe with your children. Maybe not. But in general, in generally speaking, to love your neighbor as yourself is an impossibility outside of Christ. Outside of the Holy Spirit. But, okay, so the world, we, we can't fix those problems. But what about inside the church? How many problems have we had? How many problems does the church in, in general have that would go away if the people just did that? I would suggest to you all of them. There would be no problems. If everybody was living according to what James is saying here, according to what Christ taught, which is what? The essence of the law. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If we all actually did that, it goes all the way back to the golden rule, right? To treat others as you want to be treated would solve our problems. But yet we still, we hold on to this and we hold on to this partiality. So when, we, when we're dealing with partiality, here's the thing. You may think yourself rich or you may think yourself poor. And you could be either one depending on where you are, where you're standing in the world. <coughs> right? If you're here, if I'm here, I'm not rich, I can assure you. Compared to other people in the um, United States, I'm definitely not in the upper class. But if I go to India, I'm suddenly extremely rich, right? So it's relevant to where you're standing. But the point of that is, if I were to walk into some big-time, I don't know, um, ball or some big-time meeting or something in the city, and I'm me, I don't want them to treat me like dirt because I'm not them. Has anybody ever been to something like that? Ever been to everybody? Anybody ever been to a highfalutin type deal, and everybody's looking down their nose at you? Did you like it? No, no, you did not like it. You might act, you might put on a facade and act all tough, but you didn't like it. Trust me. So don't do it to anybody else, right? And it goes the same the other way too. Don't get such a dissension. Here's another warning that I would give you as people of God. 
Don't get such a dissension for those of wealth that you would be a respecter of persons and automatically not like or automatically treat somebody different who has money or who has succeeded. And don't automatically assume the worst that how they got it. And don't covet that to a point where you have a disdain for them as well. And so in verse 8, he poses this as the opposite to partiality. To love your neighbor as yourself is actually the exact opposite of partiality. Look at verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So par- partiality, here's what he's saying. Partiality, if you are partial, if you are, sh- if you are a respecter of persons, and this is he's talking about money here, but I'm telling you it, it applies to any situation that you would be partial because of something. And by the way, this goes to gender as well. If you are partial for or against one sex or another, male or female, Jew or Greek, does this sound familiar? Sounds like Paul, right? Whatever, uh, you know, in the, in the school of ministry, we just went through a couple weeks ago races. And Ken Ham showed very well that there actually is, are no races. There's one race. The human race, he showed that both scientifically and scripturally, right? But we still have, and he calls them people groups, just happens to be a little bit different looking people. But if you have partiality towards that, if you have that dwelling in your heart, then you are obviously, according to James here, a transgressor of the law. And, and, what law is he talking about here? Do you remember back in chapter 1, he was talking about the law of liberty. And so that's what he's talking about again here. We, we see, and what is the law of liberty? It is the tent of the law that was taken a step further by Christ, past the law of Moses. It's greater than the law of Moses. This is the law of liberty. And it can be summed up with, what I just said a while ago, what, when they asked Christ, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And then the second is likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Here is the heart of the law of liberty, and that is love. It is the natural fruit of the law of liberty. John Piper said this, He said, love is the kind of law that governs us when we are freed from condemnation by the blood and righteousness of Christ. It is the kind of law that governs us when we are freed. See, the world would see that as a contradiction in terms. We're being governed, but we're freed. No, it governs us by our will Um, From condemnation, it it, it governs us from condemnation, or it governs us when we are freed from condemnation by the blood and righteousness of Christ. And if we fail in loving God's people because we show partiality, 
for any reason, then we have broken that whole law. That's what James said, right? If you've broken the law in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. So if we are a respecter of persons, we're breaking that whole law. And let me let me just say this, too. It's not always a... There's, there's one thing that I haven't mentioned. Um, we've, we've mentioned like races and money and maybe even positions of power. But it may be um, more like cultural uh, prejudices. This is something I, I, I really have to watch myself on. The way people, if I see a group of kids and they're dressed a certain way, I struggle with this, okay? And I, I have a feeling that some of you probably do too. Um, we have to be careful of partiality in all cases. And that would include the way people dress, not because of money, but because of a culture or an attitude that they're trying to achieve. Um, and that, that, that would be included here. And so if we fail in loving God's people because we show partiality for whatever reason, we have broken the whole law. And then look at verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are judged to be, as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. John Piper went on to say this, and we will be judged under this law of liberty. If we have not loved, we will perish. Because there will be no evidence that we are born again and justified by faith. What we're going to see as we go on into this chapter, we're going to see the evidence of our faith. We're going to see the evidence of our faith as our works. And I think it's important that we understand that. It's, we're not working to earn our faith. We're not working to earn our salvation. But this is a double-sided coin. You can't get one without the other if you have been saved. And you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. He will, conv- he will change you. He is going to take your thought processes, your partialities, which we all have, have had them, and we all probably are still reforming them. He is reforming them. But He's going to take those and He's going to change them. And if you don't have love in your heart in this area or any other area, you're going to be found lacking and you're going to be a violator, transgressor of the law. We're going to be judged under this law of liberty, not in a judgment the same as... I mean, this law of liberty is what we're judged by. You're going to be compared to the law of Christ. You're going to be co- compared to His love. Did you have the love of Christ or not? When somebody walks into your church, or somebody walks into your place of business, or somebody walks into your life in whatever capacity... Did you love them like Christ or did you not? And if you failed in that, there's good news. He will grant you repentance and he will give you this love. You can go to him and ask him and he will do this if you belong to him. It's a guarantee he will do this. And hopefully, if this is you, then this sermon and this chapter of James is what's going to bring that repentance into effect. That's what's going to bring it to you. But that's the question we got to ask. Did I love them like Christ or not? Verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. 
mercy triumphs over judgment. So we see here that partiality is not mercy. And that's where it kind of gets to kind of gets to that group of kids. The ones with the sagging pants and the flat-billed hats that drives me crazy. Am I partial to them or against them? Am I partial to somebody that walks in and dresses more like me? More like the way I did, clean-cut, American kid? I mean, sure. I, I mean, I, I would, my own kids, I want them to look that way. Why? But I, I, don't, I really don't know. I mean, it's because that's how I was raised, right? Am I partial to that? If, I, if somebody walks in here and they don't look like the way that I was taught to look, Am I going to assume things about their life that may or may not be true? Am I going to automatically assume that every kid that's wearing some kind of sagging pants and chains or tattoos or nose rings or whatever it is, am I going to assume they're druggies? And I, I'm, I'm talking to me here, guys. This is, this is straight to me because I, I really do have to watch this. And you all know that you probably have a something that you're more inclined to do. Whatever it is, maybe it's money. Maybe it's wealth like James is talking about here. Maybe it's race. Maybe it's age. Are you going to assume because somebody's really young, they're just some, you know, they don't have anything to offer, they're just a dumb kid? Or because somebody's really old that uh, they, they don't understand, they just don't understand what we're going through, they're too old. Partiality has no limits on what kind of groups you're looking at. and that, But we should not have any partiality. So in closing, look back at verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ he repeats himself here, he, he, or not really repeats himself, but he gives a specific description of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with partiality. So we see this special emphasis on the Lord of glory, and the reason that I think he starts here, this thought process with that verse is, this is where our strength for non-partiality lies. And this is because, this is why. In many cases, the origin of partiality, especially when you're talking about wealth, especially when you're talking about the rich, it lies in a craving for human glory. We are partial to the rich. We are partial to the powerful. I think a lot of it is because we want to be rich and powerful. And somehow we think by treating them good, better, above, somehow or another we're going to get into that. It doesn't work that way, by the way. It never has. But we have that craving. We have an inward in this flesh, a craving for human glory. Um, in other words... We want, we have a natural tendency to cater to those who can help us. And that's why if you go back to verse one, he said, true religion and undefiled is to what? Visit the widows and orphans 
in their affliction. The widows and orphans can do nothing for you, especially in this time. They had nothing. There was not going to be a return on that investment. It was truly by the love of Christ. And that's what we see here. James is saying, don't be partial to these people because you're looking for a return in investment. Treat them the same. Love. If somebody who's rich comes in here, love them like Christ. If somebody who's poor comes in here, love them like Christ. If some clean-cut American young man comes in here, love him like Jesus. And if some rough-looking guy from the hood comes in here, love him like Jesus. And not because he may be the next speaker, not because it may be a trick and it may really be somebody who it's not. No, because it is who it is. And he was made in the image of God. And he needs Christ in his life. And if he needs Christ in his life, and if he has Christ in his life, he needs us, Christ's people, in his life, or her life, or whoever it is. And so, the world says, treat the rich great, treat the poor bad. The world says, treat a certain group of people better than others. The world will take care of those who donate the most money or have the biggest influence for us in the workforce. Our natural tendency from this flesh is to seek glory and power through these earthly beings. But James says no. James says your glory is in the Lord of glory. And that's what it comes down to. That's where it comes down to the temptation that we're dealing with. If we are showing this partiality, especially for this rich that he's talking about, we're seeking glory in some fallen, earthly, formed out of the dirt. And James says, no, the Lord of glory is where you will seek your glory. And it's not for ours, it's for his. And so, by showing partiality, what we're really doing is showing a lack of trust in the glory of Christ. We're showing a lack of trust in His providence. We're showing a lack of trust in His provision. And showing too much trust in a worldly system of wealth. So I encourage you today, examine yourself. Examine your heart. Um, See where you lie. See, See where you stand on all of these issues. And if, you, if you're guilty of this, if you're guilty of showing partiality or um, for whatever reason, repent. Trust in the glory of Christ and he will, he will grant you that repentance and he will grant you this ability to overcome this. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you, Lord. God, I I just ask you, God, that you would forgive me uh, for partiality that I've shown through my life, for partiality that maybe I haven't even shown, that maybe nobody would know I have except that it's in my heart. And I pray, God, you would remove it. And I pray that you would help me to love others. 
the way you have loved me. I pray that you would help me to show mercy to others the way you have shown me mercy. And that you might get glory through that action. I pray that for all of us. Whoever is, if anybody is struggling with this issue, in whatever level, that you would help them. That you would grant them the ability to overcome it. And that they would love others as well. And most of all, God, I pray that we would love one another. And that we would really seek to understand one another. And that we would pray for one another. And God, that we would seek after you so hard, that we would see your love so strong, that it would just overflow out of us onto your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.